Hey, this is a Hakawati production. Hi, my friends. Welcome to the men's room. Today's show is not about politics. It's about people, because that's what politics should be about, right? But before we get to that, make sure you're subscribed to the show on whatever platform you listen to so you know when a new kick-ass episode comes out. Actually, the word politics comes from the ancient Greek word politika, meaning affairs of the city. No, not those kinds of affairs. I mean organization, economic policies, laws, and infrastructure. All those things that people need in order to live harmoniously together in a city. Unfortunately, not all leaders and not all political systems are built equally. And there are quite a few that are, simply put, complete failures. So what should people do when political leaders turn out to be incompetent idiots and political systems collapse? Well, to answer this and a few other challenging questions, we have on today's show Gilbert Dumit. Gilbert is a strategy advisor, leadership consultant, and a social entrepreneur who has dedicated his work to meaningful transformation through policy reform, institutional strengthening, and leadership development for more than two decades. He's currently a managing partner at Beyond Reform and Development. Hello, Gilbert. Hello, Nadia. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It really means a lot. Thank you for, for hosting me. It's a pleasure. So tell us about what it is that you do at Beyond Reform and Development. So Beyond Reform and Development is a mission-driven uh, consulting firm. So we've been operating for the last decade uh, across the MENA, the MENA region. So mainly our focus is to help governments uh, improve their performance by becoming more innovative, more responsive, and more inclusive of citizens' needs, rights, expectations. So we mainly focus on a lot of research. We do a lot of policy work on social, economic, and governance issues. We do a lot of strategy and public management reform, assisting government improving their institutional capacity. We do a lot of capacity development to improve leadership capacity within those organizations. And we do a lot of um, partnership building, building stakeholders engagement vis-a-vis -vis any reform or strategy or any government uh, development process. So who are your clients? Which countries are we talking about or which entities within those countries? So it could be uh, governments directly or could be international agencies, United Nations, other World Bank, INGOs, different or governments directly, ministries, parliaments. So Which work, countries are you consulting 20, with? We work in 20 countries in the region. So we work in like Lebanon, Jordan, uh, Saudi, Kuwait, um, uh, Egypt, uh, Tunisia, Morocco. But also now we expanded Somalia, Sudan. Now we expanded beyond the region. So now we have projects in Cameroon, in Nepal, in Myanmar. Wow. So we've been expanding beyond the region. That's a lot well. on your plate. And how many people in your, in your so company? So we're 30 people. In fact, it's a very interesting model because it's a... It's, It's kind of a, a Lebanon we want to live in. So it's very diverse. It's a partnership model. It means all people who work in Beyond Reform and Development have access to become shareholders after three years. And we have a program where it's owned by its own people. It's not driven by profit, by the bottom line. It's driven by the impact that it makes in society and in government. It's almost like a socialist model in some way. No, in, in fact, it's a very close model to a social enterprise. Mm -hmm. So which so it functions like a business, but it's driven by impact and it's owned by its own people. So it's a partnership model. 
You're also very active politically. You ran for parliamentary position, if I'm correct, yes. a while back. So last year, in 2018, I ran for in Beirut 1 um, um, on the ticket of the campaign was called Libaladi as part of Kuluna Watani uh, campaign, the national campaign of what we call civil society. In fact, the alternative civil movement representing itself in this campaign. So why are you so interested in politics and in, in uh, society? So I was born in the civil war. So my childhood and my adolescence were mainly, I witnessed and I lived and I experienced violence in our society and it was always driven by confessionalism. And I come from a modest family, so I also um, suffered from injustice and I know how it feels when people cannot survive the social and economic context. So when I grew up, I decided so it it was an evolution. It was so some people ask me, was was there a moment? There wasn't a moment. But since then I've been always an activist in a way or another. So for example, back in the 90s, I worked in the central prison of Beirut with the youth um with problems with the law to help in um assisting them in developing their life project and then help them integration to integrate wow, themselves that's pretty in society. Intense. And then back into uh, in, in the 90s, late 90s, so I was part of organizing against the Syrian occupation in Lebanon. And then uh, I set up an NGO in 2005 with a group of people to promote citizenship and accountability. And then I was the general coordinator of the National uh, Elections Observation Mission. But also during all those times, so we've done like campaigns like Halua, Ua, Khalas, anti-sectarianism, promoting accountability, anti-corruption, promoting citizenship, equality in society, freedom of expression. Probably I've spent more time in my life protesting and campaigning than I've done anything else. Mm. And I think it's one way to feel, I think it's my my means to have a meaningful life. Well, it's interesting because I've spoken to quite a few people who are politically active and you guys all have the same thing in common is this sense of, of uh, justice, right? And mm. the fairness and equality, which is, seems to be what's lacking with leadership in these countries that are falling apart when there's uh, uprisings. Let's use Lebanon as an example, since that's the country you're operating in. It's been a, in a political stalemate basically since uh, Prime Minister uh, Saad Hariri resigned October 29th. Uh, once again, it keeps happening over and over again because it's the same leaders, of course. So the problem seems to be that they're so tightly linked to their support groups that the community at large is not accepting the change, even though they're actually demanding the change. So how do you think it's possible to truly change a system from within? First, um, I have to disagree with the lar the largest community, the, the community at large cannot let go of its zaim, being Saad Hariri or any zaim. I think there are there are a few moments that happened in this revolution that were surprising. I think it was surprising to the political elite. I don't think it was super surprising for a lot of us. So when you have such a massive number of people with the same voice, and I'm going to use the term, I'm not promoting it, I'm saying it happened, swearing or insulting their own leaders in one in one time, everyone after the other. This was a real moment. If we see sometimes on the news that there are few people who are protesting to support the Zaim, 
Yes, of course, there are. They still have people loyal to them. I think the overall, and I think this is what's scaring the political elite currently the most, is that the overarching population has let go or is willing to let go of its sectarian fear and this loyalty that did not return back rights uh, for citizens. So people are more conscious now that this fear game has no return on the quality of life we live. And it's a, it's a high consciousness moment. Changing from within, I think the revolution happened because we haven't been able to change from within. It means like all the protests and the campaigns, but also the research that we've done and the policies we worked on and the strategies, so the substance or the people movement, the social movement, or even assisting government in so many cases to evolve. The revolution happened because there is no trust anymore that this political elite that has been protecting this sectarian power sharing system. So we live in this system where so everything should be divided supposedly because we want to protect the sects, but in fact, we're ensuring the interests of the few and resulting into being one, one of the countries that has the highest inequalities in the world. This game is not um, is not convincing anymore to anyone of and us. And it's not sustainable. Obviously, this, at, is, where, this is why we are base. where we are. Yeah. So that's all fair and good. So the people are getting angry. They want to they wanna change things. But there have been several revolutions over the last few years. There's, you know, throughout the Arab Spring. And very few of them have yet to produce a really successful new government with a positive result for the people of the country. If you look at Egypt, if you look at Libya, sure, the government's changed. Are the people really better off? Uh, it goes with question, you know, and Syria definitely is not a great example. Um, maybe it's because it takes time. Um, most people that you talk to, if you ask them about a successful revolution, the last one they can think of is the French Revolution, right? Mm -hmm. Let's chop off their There's heads and start fresh. <laughs> so maybe maybe that's what needs to be done. I'm not sure. Violent, nonviolent, um, it's debatable. But how do you translate or how do you go from this is what we want to know from people who are building these strategies. How do you go from overthrowing or, or getting the government to, you know, relinquish their power to building something new that's effective and powerful? First of all, I would like to, to look at this, the, the revolution. It's a process and we're all conscious it's a process, but it's the first time we're redefining politics. And I think this is the most important part. So, so, In fact, we're redefining politics as it's rights-based. It's about justice, about people. It's not about power. It's not about corruption, the three Cs. It's not about confessionalism, corruption, and conflict. It's about equality, justice, and freedom. And then the way we're behaving, I think what's happening, in the, I, I, would, I would love to see politics happening as a continuous thawra, as a continuous revolution means one people taking agency of their own life. So stop relying on whoever. So you initiate um, an action to demand your own, your own rights. And for think, example? For example, if you look now, while we're sitting now, there are 10 actions, protests, initiatives that are being taken. I know that now in downtown Beirut, there is a group of women organizing to feed the least privileged and create solidarity platform. I know that in, in the north, there is a protest being organized uh, to um, call for an independent government. I know that some people now are organizing in front of the central bank. So we are more conscious of our rights. 
but also our duties, but also we're actively participating in the political scene. And that's powerful. So that's one important outcome that's going to lead into more agency in the political sphere. So there are no citizens who would say, you know, I don't care about politics. I disengage. Or you know what? That's that's my loyalty. I'm not going to change it. So there is this conversation happening where people are taking agency of their own life. And that's I powerful. love that. I love the idea of taking the positive side of the thawra. So I'll, I'll take the negative. Yeah. But <laughs> what, what I was going to say is that that's very true. But if if the government ignores those actions that are being taken for a sustained period of time, eventually people lose interest, they disengage, and then nothing's really changed. Meaning, again, let's talk about violent, nonviolent. If you're nonviolent, um, there's a possibility and a chance that it just won't be effective and that nothing happens because the actions that you're talking about are not transforming from the top. They're trying to transform from the bottom, right? So, so how to translate this into effective change? So the only tool we have now are the streets. So the number of people are on the streets. So this is why it's important to keep on reminding ourselves that it's about every individual taking its, their own initiative and organizing on the streets to, to claim their demands. We know that people who are in power are not going to leave soon. And they're not going to so say, oh, you're nice. You've been on the streets, we're going to leave. But those people have been there for so long. Yes, there, we're gonna, it's going to be a build-up into reaching a moment where we have very clear demands. So if you notice, there is a change in the way they've been selecting the prime minister. We're not happy about this one, but still there is a change in the way that it has been selected. The discussion about the, the cabinet members have changed before. So now the term competence is on everyone's discourse. Um, At the top discourse. of everyone's list, yeah. Whenever they feel like, oh, it's, uh, someone is not independent, they're trying to lie, or oh, they're, they're independent, but we know they're not. So, in fact, they're trying to maneuver because they're freaking out internally. We know that internally all political parties have a high polarization, schism within each party. They have a lot of issues. They're divided, and they're divided between each other. So this is what we're going to bet on. And I think there is one small opportunity for Lebanon is that what we're asking for is the implementation of the constitution. Most of the examples you gave are countries who had no, at least the text, the constitution is not there. We have it. All we're asking for, in fact, is implementing it. So a cabinet is independent and is competent, transitional, going for early elections will help us translate the revolution into systemic change. And that's possible with no violence. And we're very close to this. We know that we're going to reach a moment of high confrontation. We're not there yet. Mm. And if we lose hope, nothing's going to happen. We're not going to go back 17th of October. And this requires sustain our energy, our belief, our hope. It's going to happen. Are there things then that policymakers that are already working with the government that maybe want change or any policymakers can do to help transform also uh, the way the population thinks to help uh, spur the change along. You know what I mean? Um, education, communications, or maybe from people like you who are consultants. Yeah, I would, uh, my, my, my activism has done with my consulting, but my consulting work, yeah. like my academic work, because I teach at, uh, at USG as well. So my, my, What do you teach? I teach social entrepreneurship and intercultural mediation. Oh, wonderful. So, so by my, my academic work as well, there are many people, in fact, policy hasn't been happening within the so-called policymakers, within politicians. All po serious policy work has been done by 
activists, uh, academics, uh, consultants, people who have brought substance. My frustration as an individual that all the portfolios I work I work on they were never implemented. So that's also another difference. There are so many people who are equipped to be policymakers in the country. We know government extremely well, and we know what are the solutions. What we're lacking is political will, and the revolution outcome is creating political will by an independent government and elections, so that we have parliamentarians who are capable of the job they're required to do. So you've produced these, uh, you know, these documents and plans for different countries, and you've noticed that in Lebanon it's difficult to get them implemented. How is this different in other countries? What are what are the issues that you can pinpoint that pinpoint the problems with the, the lack of implementation? It all goes back to leadership buy-in. So we almost know up front pro- the possibility of success of a project. If- By the way, that seems like a waste of money. I just want to point that out. If a government is paying for these kinds of you know uh, processes and then they don't implement it, that's just yet another waste of money. But go uh, on. I, and, but yeah, I, I <laughs> agree. Time. I agree. And this is why, for example, one of the solutions we, we came up with is it's not enough to work on substance, on policy and research and strategy and reform. So you need to build stakeholders engagement. So it means we need to bring everyone on board involving citizens in the process, involving other stakeholders in the process, because also it's educational. But if we look, so a lot of things have improved. The problem is particularly a lot of things have improved because there have been serious work on substance. The problem always is political will. If you're doing any project where the minister of, or the MP or people who are in leadership policy making policy making positions, they don't want to do it then it's their responsibility. What's the problem? Are they lazy? Are they uh, afraid, are too comfortable with the status quo? Are they afraid that if they change something, they'll lose some of the perks that they have? What, what in your opinion, is the reason why, for the lack of political will, which seems to go against the very nature of their job? They're there to have political will. You know, it's a combination of. So one, one component is that a lot of the policymakers are generally not competent means they've been appointed to positions because of loyalties rather than because of competence. And and if you look at many of the competent intellectuals, people who are capable, do not want to be in politics. I'm one of those. I won't be in politics. Politics seems like a negative term that's degrading. This is why it's important to redefine it because it's the most impactful job on the planet because it impacts systems. So it's important that we redefine it. So lack of competence, but also Sometimes, especially for policymakers who have been there for so long, the the stake and the interest they have could be financial interest and corruption and power dynamics to maintain their positions. There is higher interest in maintaining power or financial interest rather than doing good for the general population. So a second reason is like their interest comes first. Third is there is a lack of accountability mechanisms in many of our country. So if I feel that my vote will not make any sense in the next elections, I won't hold you accountable. So you don't rely or you're not afraid of citizens holding you accountable through elections, through judiciary. So even the judiciary, for example, in Lebanon, you cannot hold them accountable because it's totally controlled. So the lack of accountability mechanisms, the lack of competence merged with People staying in power for so long and abusing the system for their own interests, political or financial interests, makes it 
makes them in power positions, not for the public good, but for their own interests. What do you think a government should look like? What should, what should be the purpose of the government? To ensure justice in society. So government's role is to ensure that all citizens are having access equally to their basic rights. Which are? Education, health, pension, water, electricity, um, your well-being, uh, access to um, uh, social services, care. And how should they do that? Taxes? Uh, definitely. So, so like any government function. So, first, one one of the first role is that okay. So, I look at society and see how I'm going to ensure all this this to all citizens. So, I'm going to look at revenues, and there are two main revenues other than international revenue. So, I'm going to look at taxes. I'm going to look at government assets and how government assets. Unfortunately, so first we have a lot of tax evasion. We're one of the rare countries where all our taxes are flat. We have VAT that's flat. There's no country. Where are you from, Nadia? Canada. So do you have any tax that's flat? You have progressive tax. So if we're talking about income tax, it's progressive. So I know, for example, in Canada, you have a wealth tax. So the more wealth you accumulate, so you have a wealth tax. And you have the VAT. Also, it's a progressive tax. So we, we don't have. So, yeah. so that's one rule. Pretty rudimentary. Exactly. Our assets have been given away to politicians' companies. So we don't make revenue from our port from our airport, from the casino. from That seems pretty so, hard to get back, is it? We're, we're not unique in, in anything. Why we can't have a decent government functioning that serves everyone in the country? I, I don't see any reason why it should be. Especially that the Lebanese population, compared to other countries, it's highly educated, it's well-conscious, as well exposed to other governments, to other places on the planet. We have all what it takes. And we're a small country, so we don't need a lot of money to ensure for everyone. So taxes and, and assets, and both of them are lost, and we only rely on debt from banks and international donors. What do you think of universal basic income, that idea? You know, there have been like some tests around this, like I follow a little bit the, the Finland model. Yes, there should be a minimum insured for everyone. I think it's very cultural as well and contextual. I don't think it should come as a one moment thing, but do we need to ensure basics for everyone? Yes. It's cultural, so it needs to, if a, a universal income should be provided, it should be done gradually to ensure that people will use it in the best way possible for their own well-being. There's actually a candidate in the United States in the presidential race that's Absolutely. proposing it. Yeah, $1,000 a month per citizen, which is Why not? Uh, interesting. It is, it is a possibility. Well, the question just becomes then, you know, if they're already struggling to pay for education and quality education, free education and healthcare, how do you, you know, get another $1,000 per person and send cash? You know, it sounds uh, look, expensive. Uh, so it's, uh, not to divert the discussion, but if we're, if we're going into having less jobs on the planet because of this digital revolution we're in, and then um, eventually we won't be insuring jobs for everyone, the world is looking now for alternative models to insure. So if there are no jobs, but also... So um, the basic needs are, are insured. So what do we do in, in this case? And for example, I was reading a nice article that says, you know, we're going to stop asking each other in the coming decade about what do you do 
we're going to be asking each other about what you aspire for or what's your purpose in life. Oh my God. That's what so gives you meaning? Yeah. But you know, if the world, the economy keeps going the way it is and, you know, the rich get keep getting richer. And if you don't have that flat tax and you can collect higher taxes from the, you know, top 2%, maybe you can actually afford that $1,000 per citizen. Exactly. So if we look at Lebanon, this is one of the claims we were making is that like, you know, so so we're top high inequality. So we're talking about three or 4,000 accounts that have 80% of the bank's deposits. So out of the 120 billion, 175 for 30% are for non-residents and 120 out of the 120, three or 4,000 people hold $90 billion. Yeah, that's crazy. But then you have, so the rest of the population, and then you have 30% poverty rate and you have 35% unemployment. So the role of government is to, the rich, if they want to be rich, and this Did is you how the economy. Thirty percent. I think it's much more than that. This was probably before, before, like uh, early this year. But now we're talking about like uh, so. Some of the reports are the World Bank saying like can go up to fifty percent, and what we're calculating is probably. But what we know is that so government should intervene like any country on the planet and ensure for the for everyone. And maybe then we can we can afford to pay uh, a universal income. In your opinion, is there a country in the world that's getting it right? What ex what example would you use if you wanted to have kind of a template to build like the perfect government? Recently, uh, less than a year ago, we acquired a company in in, in Montreal. Oh, that's where I'm from. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you know, I think I'm I'm fascinated. I'm sure there are a lot of problems, and we've been and we've been hearing about issues. But I think it's a good model. It, it's a model Canada, that you mean? yes, Canada is a model that works. We always look at the Scandinavian model, but maybe we should, like maybe look elsewhere. But but there are good models, so maybe Canada would be uh, one of the good choices. What company did you acquire? It, it's a consulting firm as well. So yeah. and we do because we're part of a group that does as well private sector. So we do private sector because historically we used to work in Montreal. So it's a company that. We acquired, it's called Efical. So if you could go online, so it's called Efical Management Consultants. Were they nice to you? Of course, super. Did you get to uh, eat some good Canadian food? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I, I love Moria. I think, you know, you know, the city, it's one of those cities that you feel it's human-centered. So everything is designed around your well-being. So your transport and the art space and the quality of life and the food and the space, it's fascinating. I'm sure there are a lot of problems. There is no country that, has, because we human beings, we always have expectations and that's a good thing. But I think it's, it's a very good model. It's, it's, it is inspiring. Well, I guess we're going to leave it at that. You've been inspiring. Thank you for hosting I wish me. You it the was best. lovely to have a conversation with you. Yes, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I know you've been really busy. Uh, it's it's my pleasure as long as this uh, invites people to join in and uh, take agency in what's happening in Lebanon. But also, you know, I think those values are across the planet. So I care for Lebanon, but I care for any citizen, any people who are living uh, inequality and justice in the world. Well put. That's it. And thanks for listening to this episode of The Men's Room. Check out all the great podcasts on hakawadi.com and make sure to follow us on Instagram. It's really good. See you there, my friends.